calling out to the Atascacita community. It's time for your Atascacita Library advanced copy. Get your notes and news now. Hello, Atascacita community. Thank you for joining us for your advanced copy. This episode will have the opportunity to learn more about classical Western opera from professional opera singer and vocal instructor Tambry Tarleton. We'll also hear about upcoming programs, including our newest program, Anime Jam. We'll learn more about the 25th anniversary celebration and what staff are reading, including the team from Lit Chat, PJ and Bonnie. So let's dive in to your advanced copy. To paraphrase Neil Gaiman, the internet can bring you thousands of answers, but the librarian can bring you the right one. Well, from my perspective, it's my job to help you find the right one. So as librarians, we analyze resources to make sure they are reliable, particularly when it comes to medical and other science fields. And in addition to books, Harris County Public Library with additional support from the Texas State Library and Archives Commission, provides access to hundreds of databases. These databases have journals with peer-reviewed articles, information that is researched and validated. The internet is a planet-sized haystack and you're looking for an informational needle. The library and library databases can be your metal detector, from medical information to crafting. Speaking of information, sometimes it's just best to go straight to the source. There can be styles of music and theater that can seem distant or hard to understand. Classical Western opera developed in the 16th century and has grown to include many different subgenres, such as musical theater. So, yes, if you go to the heart of the meaning of the word opera, Hamilton is an opera. The word opera comes from Italian, meaning work. Today, we are delighted to have opera singer and vocal instructor Tambry Tarleton speak with us about performing classical opera. Hi, I'm Darla, your friendly neighborhood teen librarian, and welcome to Ask an Opera Singer. Where did I find an opera singer? Well, actually, I was a roommate with an opera singer at the University of Texas at Austin, and we're here today with Tambry Tarleton, and we found each other. Oddly enough, I was at orientation and we were looking for a roommate. We were looking at apartments and the apartment manager was like, ah, oh, we have this girl and you know, she's having trouble finding roommates because she's a voice major. She's an opera singer. And I was like, oh, I'm a theater major. So this will work out perfectly. And we set up an appointment to meet. In fact, I was like too nervous to call. So my mom called and, and I was just like, oh my gosh, we're calling like a stranger just asking her, can I live with you? And so she called and set up the appointment and we met. And I think the first moment you made some joke about, you said something about knock on wood and then she knocked on the table and it was Formica and she goes, oh, knock on Formica. And I'm like, this is going to work. That is how I lived with an opera singer for four years. I'm going to pass it off to Tambry to give a little bit of background on her, her bio because I know it, but you don't. So Tambry, <laughs> tell our audience a little bit about it yourself. Well, that was one of the funnest days in my whole life. I loved having you as a roommate. That was just perfect serendipity. I am Tambry Tarleton, now Knox, um, 
And I went to the University of Texas at Austin for my undergraduate degree. And I had lived for a few years in Spring, Texas after that, after I got my degree. And then I moved to Boston to go to the New England Conservatory of Music for my master's. So that's kind of my educational tour. Along the way, I, I have my degree in vocal pedagogy, which is actually the, the science of teaching voice because I enjoyed that. I found that as an outlet for my music as well as performing. And so that's what I do now is I, I run a studio in my hometown of Hudson, Massachusetts, and sing at various local things when I find something that I enjoy doing. So, <laughs> Since we're starting out, we're going to start out the same way we start out with every music rehearsal. And I, one of my coworkers had a question for you and she asked, what's your favorite vocal warm-up exercise? So, well, there's different ones that I like for different things. So right after undergraduate school, actually, I did a college summer program called College Light Opera Company, which was in um, Falmouth, Massachusetts. We did nine shows in 10 weeks. So I learned to do really down and dirty warm-ups. So before that, it would take me an hour of going through all my different warm-ups to warm my voice up. And after that, I got to where I would just do a few hums to make sure everything was working all right. And then some glides, maybe like a some nice glides like that to um, get your voice warmed up. So y'all just doesn't want to hear me do glides. <laughs> I used to have remember solo whenever we're, we were living and he would do the glides with me. He sang perfect high G's with me. <laughs> he did. He had a better high G than I ever did because yes, that was our that was uh, the Scottish Terrier. Trot along and do high G's. <laughs> oh. He was wonderful. Yeah. He was a singer. Okay, so when did you first your mother told me one time that you were born singing? And so when did you first decide that singing and particularly opera was the thing that, you know, you really loved doing? It's, it's, I was thinking about that question. I sang really, but my mother was right. I sang, she heard me singing before she heard me talking. I wouldn't talk to my mother. And so the first time she heard my voice was singing through every Christmas carol there was in the backseat of the car. Um, <laughs> And so before that, she thought that, you know, something was wrong with my voice that, you know, I wouldn't speak to her. I was just stubborn. But um, <laughs> all the way through school, started dance lessons when I was three because my mother worried about me being shy and retiring, which, you know, is not the case. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I... It sang and sang. I think the first time that I really started thinking about it, I was having a very hard time in high school with the choral competitions they had in Texas. Which I'm from Texas originally. Um, they had these competitions in the choirs for districts, all area, all districts. And some years I would win and do really well. And then the year that I was getting so discouraged, I think it was the end of my junior year. My Yeah, I think it was sophomore year going into junior year. I... I was having a terrible time. I didn't make the first level. And all the comments back from the judges were, 
I was too loud. I was too soloistic. I was too distinctive. I didn't blend, you know. And so I was very discouraged and just about ready to to give up the ghost. I had worked so hard. And my mother said to me, you know, well, there's this opera. La Traviata was coming to town. Why don't we go see the opera? Those people sing loud. <laughs> so we <laughs> La Traviata, and I just adored it. And and the singing really appealed to me. It was beautifully done. The college, Texas Tech University, was putting it on. And so it had beautiful singing in it and a few. And so I, I decided after that point to start taking some voice lessons. So I was about 15 and I um, started some voice lessons and then the advertisement in the program said the next summer, anybody, all ages, could be in the Lubbock Summer Rep, the repertoire. They would do three shows each summer. And one of them was a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta. And then you had two musicals along the same time. Well, I auditioned for that. And I actually... I was so scared. My first audition, I was shaking and because I thought my whole entire life depended on that audition. So I redid the audition because I felt like I'd loved it up. And I got in, got to be the youngest one in the cast. And I loved it. And I especially loved singing in the Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, HMS Pinafore. That's what we were doing. I loved singing in that it was a way of singing that I just never experienced before and really getting to let myself blend with people that were studying opera and it was a a completely different experience from singing in the choirs where I was trying to sing in a way that just wasn't suited for me at that time. I can understand that because it's like yes you have a very distinctive voice and I cannot imagine you trying to just blend in with just the chorus and stuff. So, Well, part of the problem um, at that point in time was also that I thought I was a soprano and I didn't realize until far later that I was actually a mezzo-soprano or even a contralto. And so because I had high notes, everyone assumed that, you know, that's where, but it's not necessarily your range but it's where your voice likes to sit in that range. So my voice likes to sit a little bit lower. So the soprano stuff would end up straining my voice and I really didn't sound that good on it. So I I understand now why I had trouble with that choir singing because I was trying to do a part that really wasn't suited to me. Ah, I think that happens a lot. Is a lot of times choir directors may not exactly know where to put people. And so, you know, know, they go by range and they don't really take the time to notice where the tessitura points are for and the break points. And that also makes a difference. And people who are struggling with having the right support for their singing voice will also not know how to say to the choir director that they're uncomfortable in that position. They just assume that they're doing something wrong. So they don't really understand that it may not be what they're doing right or wrong. It may be their voice just doesn't like to be in that particular part of the range. I've also run into, you know, in having students, I've run into the opposite problem where somebody with a very high voice is trying to sing lower 
than what they're comfortable singing, they can also come up with a lot of frustration because it really helps to have your voice be trying to sing in the right range. Yes. Well, I think that, you know, a lot of times people get the idea that this is a song they want to do. This is their song. And unfortunately, if it's not in their range, it's not their song. It's not their song. We went through that when you, when you were coaching me. There were several songs you were like, no, put that down. Walk away. <laughs> Walk away from that. I'm like, oh, but I really want this. It's like, no, no, that's not yours. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Coffee. What is the most what is the most difficult piece that you've ever done and how did you deal with that? The well, most difficult role you played? I don't know. It, it would depend on why. So there's things that would be difficult about each each song. I think one of the things that I had trouble doing just as a as a genre were what we call pants rolls. Um, pants mm-hmm. rolls are where a mezzo, which is my voice type, is pretending to be a young man in the opera. And so I remember sometimes that's fine. I love doing Hansel, for instance, and Hansel and Gretel. That was very fun, but he was a very young, young man. And I put my hair up and put on clothes that make you look more masculine and everything (laughs) get bound down in your chest. And you, you do that. But Hansel... I could understand because he was young and very, could get that your head around that. When I played Romeo in college, that was more difficult because I was trying to be a leading man. I found that difficult because I, I tend to be very, my favorite kinds of roles are very earthy, sexual kind of characters and mm-hmm. even people. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, you know, tend to gravitate towards things that are a lot more um, feminine than pants mm-hmm. rolls. Well, I'd say in general, pants rolls are the more difficult things for me to, to play. Singing wise, the opera is very fulfilling, but each each piece has its vocal difficulties. So I, I can't really, I, I remember doing Augusta in Ballad of Baby Doe one time. And she has a note that she has a high A. And that's just, my high G was always very solid, but my high A's and my B flats were a little iffier on whether they wanted to play the game with me or not. You know? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I remember quite a bit over that high A that she had to sing. So it depended on the role. What is your dream role? Even today, what is your, your dream role? What's the one thing that... Tomorrow, if somebody said you can pick anything you want to play, what would you go for? I have a feeling I know the answer, but it may have changed over the you years. Know the answer. It's Carmen. I would I would love to do Carmen. Yeah. You know. <laughs> However, at this point in my life, I am dealing with the natural processes of a voice that's starting to age. And so I don't know that I could pull off Carmen, even if we did lots of makeup and had soft focus going to take out all the wrinkles you know so (laughs) I would probably have to be satisfied with something else but I find myself having a lot of fun doing like I just did a few years ago I did Catashaw in the Mikado love doing that Mm -hmm. I I love doing my voice has gotten deeper and lower as I've aged and so I'm having a lot of fun embracing some of these contralto roles that are 
deep and motherly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting to be my villainous motherly side. <laughs> How do the ones that you have performed, what's your favorite? Um, I really have enjoyed, I did enjoy the, the Catashaw. I liked the A few years ago, I did Petra in A Little Night Music. And that was one time. And I enjoyed that because it gave me a chance. It goes from this operatic section into this very belty, fast section. And of course, it's Sondheim. So every time he does it, he does it differently. I found that to be very challenging and very rewarding musically because it was it was just so different to do. I really enjoyed doing that. I also enjoyed being a 40-something-year-old woman, a little overweight, getting to play a sex symbol, you know. I was... <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I I played her as the the uh, cougar maid, I guess. <laughs> I I wish I'd seen that because I can see you doing that role. That's that's perfect. It's it's a small local company, but it was fun. Well, and that's one thing we were talking about earlier. You know, people think of opera singers, they think of you know, people performing at the Met, but they don't realize there's opera companies all over the United States. We have you know, Houston Grand Opera in Houston, but we also have several other small opera guilds. So if somebody's thinking of pursuing opera as a career, oh, yes. if ever, I think they would all like to sing at the Met, but, you know, being a working actor or working opera singer, there's a lot of opportunities out there. Uh, most of my resume, what I can remember of it, you know, is mostly local productions community but smaller companies scattered throughout Boston area and then Houston Grand Opera was, was probably the biggest most organized house that I worked for but I only did chorus in that but I you know I've done stuff with the companies local companies up here but Boston Academy of Music I was with them for a while they turned into Opera Boston later on down the road but at the time I was with them it was uh, Boston Academy of Music and we would perform at the Emerson and every Thanksgiving we would do a Gilbert and Sullivan and it was a small company it was a repertoire company so there were four or five people per each part so it was a tight nice company and you would circulate sometimes you'd do chorus and sometimes you'd do small roles and sometimes you'd do bigger roles it was it was oh I loved being in that company and just having that be a tradition every Thanksgiving of doing a Gilbert and Sullivan and the last one I did I was pregnant with my son and right after that they changed their whole format of what they did and then the Emerson went underneath for um, renovations so they did a complete renovation. So everything kind of stopped for a couple of years, which probably would have because I had a young baby at that time. So. Yes. So for teens or anybody that's thinking about career in opera specifically, what advice do you have for them for going forward? You want to um, find a really good teacher and you want to make sure that your teacher is that you're on board and, and learning the right things. Don't try to judge by, are they going to let you sing the big arias right away? Because most good voice teachers will start you off smaller and bring your voice along. It is not a fast study period. It's There's a few years involved in studying. People in their, their early 20s are often referred to as babies. You know, mm -hmm. your, your voice matures from between the time you're 18 to your late 20s 
your voice is taking that long to mature. So a lot of people don't start their opera careers until their late 20s, really. In the meantime, they're studying and they're trying different things with teachers. And But you don't want to start the big stuff too soon. I see a lot of really talented young people that sort of have that flash of fame and they get into, they start doing these recordings, really big arias, really soon. And their voice, it, it wears out. It damages as a little you know, because they're just, the, the muscles aren't ready yet. And so it pays to be patient with that. But in the meantime, you can be doing a lot of crossover roles. A lot of Gilbert and Sullivan won't hurt you at an early age. You know, you you can do a lot of musical theater and and experiment with different kinds of singing. Learning to belt well, uh, that is, that's a problem because a lot of people that are studying opera will not help you to do that in a healthy way because it it doesn't go hand in hand very easily. So sometimes you need to concentrate on one and let the other come later. We actually have a partnership with Houston Grand Opera and they're going to be doing this summer uh, an opera for us. So for people who are new to opera, new to viewing opera, is there anything specific you think they should know going into it? I'd say that Whenever you're developing your taste for opera, opera is one of those things that really is best experienced live. There is an extra vibration in the air when you're sitting live in a theater with the performers on stage. And it just, it tickles your soul when you hear it. It's just an extra echo in the voice, a, a reverberation that just just really rings in the space that I've not seen. I've seen really wonderful performers captured on video and it's very nice. It's very good. It's not the same. I've seen them live and I've seen them on video and live is that much different. So I would say find some some operas, maybe not go for the big, long, serious operas at first, but try some of the, the lighter operas, some of the more moving. Carmen's a good one to start with, you know, um, mm-hmm. try some operas that have a lot of movement and a lot of very accessible singing that, that people will wrap their minds around. I think Mozart operas and Gilbert and Sullivan's and things like Carmen and Hansel and Gretel make wonderful first operas. Maybe not the Wagner at first. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely don't go into Wagner unless you want a good... Unless you're hours. you know, it, it can get a little bit long and a little bit like, okay. <laughs> I always tell people as a stage manager at Houston Grand Opera every year, they'd give us our assignments. And I was like, no, Wagner. Because, I love Wagner. Yeah. Wagner You're... is wonderful, but maybe yeah. not as a first try. I think when we get back to being able to go live to performances, it just makes such a big difference to go and see it live. It's nice to see it recorded, but live is different. I enjoyed seeing the live performance. I enjoyed seeing it, but I was so happy I didn't have to be there till four o'clock in the morning for rehearsals. So. <laughs> yep. Loved Mephistopheles. Whenever I was doing that with Houston Grand Opera, I mean, they went mm-hmm. wild for it. They loved it. So there's a lot of operas that, you know, and they had that beautiful angel chorus in the beginning. And then the yes. it was gorgeous. And so there's a lot of things that I think people can have a lot of fun with and see that maybe not four hours long. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Go for the Pagliacci. Nice, compact. <laughs> yeah. 
ease yourself into that. Well, I'm talking about live performing. We were talking about pre-COVID and post-COVID, what is happening with performers. Pretty much everything's dried up. Um, they say singing is going to be the last thing to come back to. So I figure it's going to be a while before we get back to any anywhere near normal. But I look forward to it. I have high hopes. I'm going to stay in there, glass half full, hopefully. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to buy I'm my ready, ticket. Yeah. You know, I would say, oh, during this time period, you can study. But it's really hard because you can't be online. The lag is too difficult. I haven't found a good way to be able to teach online. So therefore, you have to, to really, you've gotten your social distancing. You can't wear a mask because I need to be able to see your mouth. It's, it's very difficult. So we're ready for live performances to come back. Because like I said, I've watched some stuff and it's very nice. But, you know, there's an energy you get from the audience and the audience gives the performers and you get back. Right. It's really, right. you know, really, really amazing. So we're, we're, we're ready. We're ready someday. So I have to ask you the most important question. Who is the greatest college roommate ever? <laughs> it's you. It's you. <laughs> I, you know, whenever I think of those times, I just remember us laughing and and having such a good time. I can't imagine how different my life would have been if we hadn't met. There would have been a whole section of my life that never knew laughter. <laughs> I just remember singing the Love Boat theme in German at oh, Magic yeah, Time Machine. <laughs> we, we did like tiny operas in the toilet paper aisle at HB oh, at 2 o'clock so in the morning. Funny. Uh, that that time we went to the grocery store and we were both in our audition outfits because yeah. you auditioned and I had just auditioned. So we're walking down and that guy, we were fairly new roommates and you picked up the toilet paper saying, this is the kind of toilet paper my mom always buys because, you know, it's something I picked up mine. And said, this is the kind my mom always buys because it's, it's biodegradable. And, you know, that guy coming down, remember that guy coming down the aisle? And he looked at us both and he ducked and like ran away thinking we were having a commercial. <laughs> we were filming a commercial in the middle of the toilet paper aisle. <laughs> there were many uh, singing and dancing oh, and acting many, adventures. That... Many adventures. <laughs> Thank you so much for the interview. I really, I really appreciate it. We really enjoyed it. I enjoyed so... it. It's always great to see you. So if you want to learn more about opera, you can request an opera book bundle. Just submit a book bundle request, and in the notes, just put opera book bundle, and we have some CDs. We have some books that we can send you out. Also, if you go to hcpl.net, in our electronic collection, we have operas, we have videos. So thank you so much, Tamri, for joining us, and stay tuned this summer for Houston Grand Opera, Katie the Strong. Thanks a lot. The year, 1996. The place, Atascacita. It was May, and the years of hard work, fundraising, approval, and building was coming to a close. In May of 1996, the Atascacita Branch Library was opened. It's been 25 years as part of the Atascacita community, and we're ready to celebrate. We'll have a chance to talk with Linda Stevens, the first branch manager of the library, and Becky Berry, current friends of Atascacita Library President, who was also the president of the Friends Group when we opened. 
The first week of May, we will have crafts, special giveaways, and more. So keep an eye out on our social media for more details. Hi everyone, I'm Janelle. And I'm Marissa. And this month we bring you a new program called Anime Jam, which Jam just stands for Janelle and Marissa. Get it? Anyhow, we made this program to share our love of anime and manga to promote literacy in our collection. Join us on our social medias March 26th for our first episode, Starter Anime, where we introduce several series that we think would be great for newer anime fans. This program is geared towards teens and adults. We are super excited and we hope you join us for this episode or future ones. This last month, PJ and Bonnie shared what they had been reading for Lit Chat, so be sure to check that out on our social media. Lit Chat is posted the second Thursday of each month. Some months it is share what you read, with no particular title chosen. Others, the group reads one title, and for April, they are reading The Searcher by Tana French. For me, I'm currently finishing up book four of Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive series, the book called Rhythm of War. These books are enormous. I love detailed world building, and those familiar with Brandon Sanderson's work know he hasn't just built a world, but a cosmere. Most of the books he writes, so far, Elantris is my favorite, are connected to the Cosmere, but also stand alone or with their own series. So you can either get really into understanding the Cosmere and finding all the hidden gems and the characters that show up in each of the worlds, or like me, I take a little more casual approach. I enjoy each series or each book on its own, even though I know it's connected, and from time to time, I might catch, oh, hey, I know which character that is, but I'm not, like, hunting for it. So if it shows up, it's a special treat. He also has some books for middle graders. One of the ones I recommend is actually a standalone, or at least it is so far, and it's called Rhythmatist. For high school and adults who don't mind hefty books, Elantris was Sanderson's first major published work, and as I mentioned, it is my favorite. But you might get drawn in more quickly to the Cosmere by starting with the Mistborn Trilogy and the Final Empire. Thank you for joining us for your advanced copy. Remember, if you would like to share what you're reading, record a little one to two minute book review and email it to ata at hcpl.net with the subject heading of book review. We'd love to hear what our community is reading. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Copy. Find information on media used and resources mentioned on our podcast webpage. This podcast is produced by the staff of Atascacita Branch Library, a part of the Harris County Public Library System. Funds for the podcast are provided by a grant from Best Buy through the Friends of Atascacita Library. Find out more about this 501c3 organization at fol.ws. That's F-O-A-L dot W-S.